Well, we break new ground on the OHL podcast this week because our first ever Ontario Hockey League owner joins our podcast, Jim Waters, who is the owner of the Erie Otters. First and foremost, thank you so much. It's great to have you on this show. Hey, Mike, thanks for inviting me. That's really kind of you, considering that you're the voice of the Kitchener Rangers and I'm the uh, one of the opposition teams. The, it's a kind invitation. I appreciate it. Thanks. Midwest division rivals. It's easier at this time of the year, Jim. We're not on the ice. There's no That's competition right, right now. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're done. And you did... You did better than we did, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, but that Otters team, it looks like it's on that trajectory in the right direction here. I think so. I think so, Mike. We, I mean, all of us suffered a little bit in the last couple of years with, uh, you know, we were about to be in the playoffs when they called the season, and I think the next year we we thought we were going to have a pretty good team, and we didn't play at all. So we kind of took a couple of steps back, but I think now I think we're, you know, I think we're we're set to go. I think we're set to move ahead. So uh, we had a good draft, and we're excited about the prospects of next season for sure. So how does it come to pass, Jim, that a Canadian broadcasting executive, albeit retired, but ends up becoming the owner of a U.S.-based Ontario Hockey League team? Hmm. Well, you know. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I was actually in this house in Florida um, when I got the call. And I, you know, I had just sort of said to a few people that I knew that, you know, they were so, what would you, is there anything you'd like to do now that you're broadcasting, you're soul chum and you're onto something else? And I said, well, you know, I've always loved sports. And at one time you, and I'm Mike, I'm sure you know this, chum owned the Ottawa Rough Riders football club. For about 10 years and that was a lot of fun at that time i was living in kingston so i used to drive up to all the games and sit with dad and mom and and actually sheila came to a lot of them with me too so so i kind of got a little bit of that bug and i but i've always been a huge hockey fan i played and i, I you know I, I like hockey so when i got the call and it, i i said well yeah I, I i would be interested i said where's the team and they said it's in erie and i went that's pennsylvania right and they said yes and I said, well, I I kind of had forgotten that there were U.S. teams in the OHL because it kind of doesn't compute, right? You say to people, well, wait a minute. You said you play in the Ontario Hockey League, except your team's in Erie, Pennsylvania. Well, there's three teams. And at that time, I think Plymouth was just moving to uh, Flint, I think, at the, just as I was coming in. I think Mr. Carmanos was going out. So anyway, I I got the call. I had the meeting. And uh, it's kind of just went from there. It was uh, it was kind of a unique negotiation with Sherry Bass, and he's he's a character, but he's a, I, I like Sherry a lot, and we still talk quite often, and he shows up at our games from time to time. So, yeah, it was uh, being in the states is a little bit different for sure, you know, because it's uh, but you know I I like to be where the team's playing. The Ontario games obviously are closer for me, but but coming to Erie takes about four hours to drive and. I'm there pretty much every game. So you must have wanted to at least get a sense of the league, the market, perhaps. What what do you recall of your first Erie Otters experience? <laughs> you gotta know something to ask me that question. Well, and maybe a little bit. I don't well, know. Well, you know what? I what we did was <clears throat> we need we needed to see the arena, obviously the facility. So Larry Chapman and I, and Larry is my is a very, very close friend, but also advises me finance-wise. 
he and I jumped in the car and went to Erie. And they happened to be in the playoffs against Sault Ste. Marie. And at this time, this was when McDavid was just finishing up in Erie. So, uh, and anyway, we, we went to the game. Sherry took us to the stadium in the afternoon when they went to the game in the evening. And McDavid, I think it's one of those ones that you see on a, when they do a reel of the OHL, it's where he steals the puck. Um, the otters are shorthanded and he goes down the ice at a, at faster than I've ever seen anybody skate. And then he goes by the goal and slips it behind him with one hand on his stick. And I'll, I'll never, I just kind of looked at Larry and went, did you see that? Did you see how fast he went? So that was my very first experience in the, in the arena, but here's a better one for you. So then we do the deal. The deal gets done in July and I'm going to my first game as the owner and it's an exhibition game on Labor Day weekend. And I'm, I'm pumped. Like this is, this is a big deal for me. So I walk in the back door of the arena and have you been in the arena in, in Erie? My, okay. So, you know, the one end is that big wall. Okay. Somebody, no one's ever owned up to this, but somebody shot the puck over the, over the glass. It hit the wall and it dropped down on my head while I was talking to one of the player's fathers. And this lady said, Mr. Waters, you're bleeding. And it's like spurring out of the top of my head. I had to walk all the way down the corridor to get to the dressing room. There, Everybody's on the, the owner just got hit in the head with a puck, you know, get to the dressing room and all hands on deck. So I get down there and the guy said, the doctor looks at me and said, well, Mr. Waters, you have two choices. We can stick a couple of needles in your head and freeze it and then stitch it. And I said, Ooh, that doesn't sound great. And he said, well, <laughs> or we have a staple gun right here. We can just do that. So I, and of course, all the players are now, they now know, and they're all at the doorway looking in to see what's he going to do. So anyway, they put five staples in the top of my head and that was it. So those are my first two experiences as far as Erie is concerned. That to me would cement the respect and legend of the new team owner, right? Takes a puck to the head, stapled up, right back out there. You know what, Mike? I figured I had to do that or I was in deep trouble. So <laughs> I, it had to be that way. So it hurt, but it had to be that way. So. Are there any parallels that you see between owning a major junior hockey club and being a broadcast executive? Yeah, there's there's lots of them, and you probably could list them off the same as the same as I can. It's a team effort, um, and you know all about that. Um, you're on a really good team at 570, and I'm sure you've got a team of people that that work around you to do your show, your daily show from 10 to 2. Is it right? You do a talk show. It is, yeah. So I mean, you'd have a team working with you. So it's it's still it doesn't matter what business you're in. It's still all about the people and the people are make, make it go. Listen, I don't, I'm still learning about running a hockey team and all the, the ins and outs and the rules and all of those things that you have to pay attention to. And I certainly couldn't do it without the people that I have um, around me and in, in area, like, you know, Dave Brown and just newly, our newly minted coach, Stan Butler. And, um, Scott Grieve, our assistant GM, and Jamie Sanuski, who runs our office. I mean, we, without those people, I I couldn't do this. So, 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of parallel. It's it's as much fun as it was in radio. Like that was <laughs> I had a blast in radio and I have a blast doing this. I love I love what I do. I wondered about that because just as a guy that works in the league, well, it and it's a different kind of fun, but I look at the way organizations operate. I I watch for a number of bums in seats when we're in various markets. We were there this past season on a Saturday night in Erie and as you've already mentioned, it, it wasn't a, an up year for the Otters in the right. junior hockey cycle. But, Jim, the place was packed to the gills. And I said, there must be some promotion. Something's going on. They said, nope. The fans just came out that night. But what an atmosphere. And that's got to be the part that's so much fun, right? It, it really is. And you know what, Mike? It's funny that you mentioned that. That was our biggest game crowd-wise of the whole season, the one you just described. And it was a really, I think it was a really good game. I don't know that we won or not, but it was a good game. I remember that it was entertaining. And, you know, it's all about, it's all about the entertainment. And you guys do a great job of that in Kitchener. I've been to many games there, as you know. I try to stick my head in and say hello to you when I, when I, if I'm up there. But you guys do a great job of the game, you know, in-game stuff in Kitchener. And I think we're getting better at it each year that I've been there in, in, uh, in Erie. And I think a lot of the people come for as somebody, as I think our marketing guys at Jim, it doesn't matter what the score is. It matters if they're having fun and having a good experience when they come to the arena. And hopefully we're able to, you know, we're all of us in the league are, are able to do that. I hope so. That said, and I, I don't disagree and we want that for the fans. Absolutely. Sure. But as somebody in your position, again, considering the, the pre ownership career in broadcasting, playing, hockey loving hockey there's got to be that competitive side to you that really i mean ultimately it's about winning isn't it <laughs> i don't like to lose <laughs> <laughs> I, trust me i will never forget what happened to us in windsor in the memorial cup right because it like i mean listen i can cry buckets that it wasn't fair and but you know what we hey w windsor beat us but they had a 44 days to rest up before Seattle and ourselves and, and who uh, I forget whoever it was from the Quebec league, we all arrived and we'd all been through three or four series to get there. And Windsor had been hanging out because they got knocked out in the first round by London. So, you know, that that's a little bit frustrating, but Hey, listen, they beat us fair and square. That's, but uh, yeah, I like to win. I don't like to lose. So we're, we've, I think bringing Stan Butler in will create a winning uh, uh, he's, he brings that experience to our, our room. And uh, I, I think it's going to really help our players to grow some. So uh, I'm excited about that prospect. As an owner, how much of, how much do you participate in that process, hiring the new coach, or do you just rely on Dave and Scott to get the job done? I, I'm, I'm totally involved. Um <laughs> This was actually great. Brownie, uh, you know, he said to me, he's, I, I said, who have you got in the list? And there was a, there was a couple of guys, but he said, I think Stan's the guy for us. But he said, I, I want you to talk to him. He didn't tell me I'd be on the phone for about two and a half hours. Like, and, and I've really in a very short space of time grown to love Stan. He's just a wonderful man. And he, I mean, he's forgotten more about hockey than I'll ever know. So but uh, yeah, I, I listen, I think I, I, I go by what my dad taught me, Mike, and that was just don't surprise me just so that, you know, so that I know 
when I'm walking down Young Street that I'm not going to find out that Rick from Roger Rick in Maryland has decided to go and work at CFRB. Like, make sure that if something like that's going to happen, that I know. Or if we decide to trade, you know, Alex to Brinkat to Guelph, make sure that I know before you, you know, I mean, and I like to have input into those things too, but I, I think the true hockey guys like Brownie and like Scott and like Stan, they're the ones that should be making those decisions, but they always ask me for my input. They always drag me out to some games in March to watch the our prospects, the people that they're considering um, drafting, but they like me to see them play. I mean, I think they respect the fact that I, I know the game and I, I, you know, I, I understand what's going on out there and I, I play the game. So I think they trust my input and value it, but uh, I certainly, um, I certainly put a lot of emphasis on what they, what they think for sure. Would you recommend ownership in the Ontario hockey league businessman to not businessman? I mean, What's the business environment like as an owner? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I could tell you, but you, know, you that's a that's really an excellent question. You know what? There, I think, and I think I don't need to tell you this. There are markets in the league where you know that you're going to do well financially. Um, and actually, I over the years that some of the numbers that I've seen, I've been surprised at some of the markets that do pretty well there's markets that you might not expect um make a little bit of money um we haven't made any money yet in erie and since in my time there um so we're getting closer to breaking even and we're uh but we it's it's a tough it's not an easy business and and you know you we're i think we've got a pretty good fan base but it's not the wealthiest city in the world, right? So I think the people are careful about where they spend their their money and their certainly their entertainment dollars. So um, it's it's sometimes been a struggle, but I think that um, Chad Westerberg that we got in in uh, in running our marketing and our sales a couple of years ago has been a godsend, and he's a, a, his family is local from just south of Erie, and he has he had some experience in the AHL. Mike for uh, for a few different teams. Lehigh, I think, in San Diego. We got him actually from San Diego, but he was coming home for some personal reasons. But he's been great. Um, business. I I think the guys that are involved are gr- all great guys. In the all the ownership guys are good guys. The 20, 20 people that are involved and and I've been on the executive the last couple of years, so I've gotten a little bit more of an inside look a little bit, but. Um, Unless you're in a boat, I can name you the markets, and I'm not going to because you could name them too. Then you, you, it's, it's. I wouldn't be buying into the league to thinking you're going to make an enormous profit. I think the franchise values are increasing, which is a a good thing. But um, there's, you know, there are some places where it's it's a little tougher than others. Let's put it that way. So you mentioned that you get to as many games as you can. What's a you know, kind of in a nutshell, Jim, what's a season in the life of an OHL owner like? Mm. It's, uh, <laughs> I have so much fun. I really do. I, I, I don't like to miss a game. Um, I know Scott Abbott in, in, in North Bay can tell you how many games he's missed over the whole time that he's owned the Brampton and North Bay franchise. And it's like five or six games or something. I'm not that good, but I certainly try to get 
to every game that I possibly can. So I, you know, it's at the end of the season, it feels like you've driven a lot. It it really does. Cause I, I drive from home. I live North of Toronto in Aurora. So it's, um, it's a pretty good haul to Erie, but I usually go, you know, I go down and stay for the weekend or, and if I need to go down during the week, I'll do that. You know, I'll go in a little bit earlier, but um, I, you know what, I, I, I'm enjoying what I do. I really, I really, I care a lot about the people. Um, I really like the group that I, I work with down there. I love getting to know the players. So um, it's, you know, I, Hey, I like to win, but it's, we've struggled the last couple of years, but I still enjoy it just as much. I really do. So I, I'm not sure if, if that answers your question or not, but um, it's a, it's a great, great. Uh, hey, let's put it this way. I'm fortunate that um, when Chum was sold um, back in 2006, that I that I was able to um, financially have have a, a bit of money that I could that I could do this um, and. Um, you know, the rest of the time, my both of my daughters are in business for themselves, so I support them, and and that's a lot of fun. But um, I'm just I'm listen. I'm a really very fortunate guy, just that I was able to work for Chum, and that our family had you know was were, were the majority owners, and that when all, when the day was done, I did I did pretty well financially, and and I had a little bit of money that I could do this. So I'm. So, you know, when I did it, I'm all in, like, I'm not, I'm not just going to buy the franchise and then come down here and sit in Florida for the, I, no, uh, no, I'm, I, I, I miss a couple of games because I come down here and take some time with my wife, but I, if I can be at the game, I'm at the game. Was your wife, Sheila, in any way surprised that you chose this as your host radio plan <laughs> no <laughs> she she was from sault st marie we're just not <laughs> okay yeah so uh no she's she's been incredibly supportive she's uh you know she's um well she's my favorite person and she she's come to a lot of games she doesn't miss a whole lot sometimes she she escapes down here a bit in the winter time but but she's always there and has been a big supporter. And I couldn't have done it if she didn't if she didn't feel that way about it and support me the way she has. I couldn't have done this. So um, wouldn't have been as much, anywhere near as much fun. And my my girls love hockey too, so they enjoy it as well. You've mentioned that competitive streak, and as disappointing as that 2017 Memorial Cup final may have been, on the way there, Jim, the Erie Otters get to hang a banner as OHL champions. What does that 2017 championship mean to you? Everything. Everything. I think about it. it would, I think about it almost daily, Mike. And the funny thing was, during the Leafs last, when they were in against, I guess it was the Florida series, and maybe the last game, I guess the last game in Toronto, I got, it was it was May the 12th, which is the day that we won the OHL championship in 2017. So I walk in, and who do I bump into but JR? 
the GM and coach of Mississauga, who we beat for the championship. And as we're as we're having a conversation, I thought, "Hey, guess what, Jay? You know what it, what today is?" And he said, "No." I said, "It's it's May the twelfth, the day that we beat you for the." I thought, yeah, I can actually use that date today because I ran into the right guy here. So, yeah, I'll never forget that night. It was um, that was very special, and I'll, my whole family was there with me, which was which was even better. And uh, it was great for the city of Erie. I know the, how excited they were, and that was the fourth year in a row that they'd won fifty games. I wasn't the owner for all of that, but uh, the first year. Mike, we we didn't do anything at the trade deadline, and I know Stromer and Brinksy were mad at Brownie. So in the second season, we got Warren Fogle and Anthony Sorelli, and they both made an enormous difference to, well, Fogle scored the overtime winner in the seventh game against London, and Sorelli scored the overtime winner against Mississauga when we actually won the championship. So the trades that were made paid off. So, yeah, that was a special special run and a special night so yeah it's great are you the kind of guy given your enthusiasm for all of this that <laughs> would have burst into that dressing room to congratulate the players afterwards and celebrate a little bit with them oh yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was i was on the ice i was in the dressing room we were we had a reception upstairs for the player yeah i was i was all over the place there that was a lot of fun yeah i, I won't forget that i got some great pictures so, yeah, it's good. You, you mentioned that the sale of, of Chum Radio put you in the financial position that, that you could do this. And and mm -hmm. Chum Radio, to anybody listening to this podcast on the Canadian side of the border, for sure, is going to be a, a name that resonates. Whether, if depending on their age, maybe 104.5 Chum FM or certainly sure. 1050 Chum a legendary radio station in this country, Jim. What did August 31st, 2006 mean to you? The last day you walked out of that address at 1331 Young. Boy, that was a, that was a hard, that was a hard day. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't in favor of selling company, but um, the, the reasons that, for the reasons that we did, it made total sense, but I, I loved what I did. And I was, I was only 55 years old, so I you know, wasn't exactly at the end of the road or anything. And, and I, you know, we had great people there. I love going into the station every day. Yeah, it was a hard, it was a hard, a hard day to, to walk out of there. And the story I like to tell is we had, a, we had a dinner with the people that helped us, you know, do the deal. And I said to the, I said to the gentleman, I said, you know, Gordon, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, what, you know, I don't have a job. And he said, Oh yeah, you got a job. You got to manage the money that, that you got from the sale so that you can take care of your family going down the road. And that's really what it's all about. You know, you just try to, you know, we have two daughters. We want to make sure that the, the money moves with them, if, if so to speak. So um, that, that was a tough day. Mike, I loved radio and I love the people in it. And I still talk to many of them these days. I, I just did an interview a little while back with Dave Charles, because he has a sheet called FYI, and uh, he was chasing me for a while. And I, you know, I'm a pretty low key guy. I don't like, you know, I'm not looking to be out front. I'm under the radar, you know, as much as I can be. And he said that, you know, they felt that I dropped right out of the, out of, well, I said, I guess I dropped out of sight, but it, you know, it's not that I don't see people that I, I worked with. And 
And uh, I still work with the stations in Belleville with John Sherrod and a few other things that I've done in the industry that maybe people just don't know about, but that's okay. That's not why you do them. So, um, but I miss, I miss radio. I mean, as I said, I driving to Erie, you get four hours of radio. I listen going down and coming back. So I still listen all the time. And uh, um, listen, youth, how long have you been at this? Oh now? my gosh. Many- it's I- almost 30. See? Yeah, June of 95, part-time yeah. overnights at uh, CKPC in Brant Ford, we had to call it. <laughs> Brant- <laughs> well, and now they have a hockey team. They do. Yes, they, that's that? a good point. There you so go. You're going to yeah. be going there now, right? You're going to be I driving be. down the road to yes, Brant sir. <laughs> right? How about that? How about it? You've been at this for, that's wonderful. That's 30 years in the industry. You got. You absolutely must love what you do to be still at it 30 years later if we're being honest though jim it's i think it's kind of like you just talked about as an owner how much you love it it's it's hard some days it is hard to love because we know how the business can be but more more days than not it's a really hard job not to love you i was i was reading about you i mean i know you (laughs) but i was reading about you deal with some pretty significant topics on your show some that requires a lot of work by you and reading by you and to be able to deal with all those subjects. It's uh, I was quite impressed, many of which I couldn't talk to you about. But, um, uh, yeah, I thought. And how long have you actually had your talk, your talk show, that slot? I started that in 2017. So up until okay. then, I'd been bouncing around like most of us do sure. in this racket. And And, you know, to be honest, when I started out, I never thought news and talk would be where I'd end up. But right. It just kind of ended up that way, and yeah, 2017, and I, I haven't, I haven't regretted a day of it. That's that's if we can say that, then we're, then we're way ahead. We're ahead of a lot of people if we can say that for sure. I'm not surprised at all to hear how this stays in your blood, and that you're listening to the radio and your drives to and from Erie. So I'm curious, Jim. You've got a a really well-heeled young broadcaster and Sean Bednard working for you guys now in here. Yeah, do. Do, do you ever, do you ever give him an air check, Jim? I have. <laughs> Good. Just, just, I don't, I just, some comments about some things that, you know, because you, I get to hear him on the OHL or I can listen to him online. Yeah. I always, I give him a few things and I think that, I think that he has a little bit of respect because he does know that I have a broadcasting background that he, and he'll accept, some of that but he's been uh he's been great he's been a great guy great part of the organization very involved in the community as well really good at that and really has really um upped our uh our charitable involvement in the community which has always been really important to me and uh it's important to me that we give back to erie in any way that we possibly can so and he's been a, he's been a leader in in that area of our business so good on him and he's a good guy was there ever any doubt that you would end up doing what you did after your father bought Chum AM 1050 Chum back in the 1950s? Was there ever any other choice for you? You know, he wasn't um, he he wasn't one of those guys that said, "This is what you're doing." He said, he, he said, "I'll give you I'll give you the opportunity," and then it's over to you if if you like it if you don't like it it's that's that's your choice well 
it, 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 as you and I both know, it's a hard it's a hard business not to like. And I, um, yeah, it was almost immediate for me. I I was I was actually going to Western, and I finished my first year, and then I started to work. I went to work in the library at Chum for the summer, and at the end of the summer, Bob Wood said, "Well, you know, it, I don't know what you're doing if you're going back to school now, but if you don't want to go back to school, we'd love to have you stay here." And I thought, "Oh." Okay, well, I was not a good student. Um, you need to go to class to be a good student, and, and I wasn't very good at that. So I, so I said, "Hey, I, I'd love to." So I just said, "Dad, I'd rather." I was twenty, and I said, "Dad, I would rather come to work at Chum than to go back to school." And he said, "Are you sure?" I said, "Yes." And then that was it. So. I started to work at Chum and when I was 20 years old. And then I, I worked in the library for about a year and a half. Then I, I I went to Vancouver and sold for three years. And then from there, ended up back in Kingston in an ownership role in Kingston and Brockville. And then back to Chum in 79. And then from 79 to 2006, I was in Toronto. So, But I, I, I was fortunate. I was, you know, not many guys get that kind of an opportunity or, or you know, having their father do what he did. And uh, he was he was very, a very humble guy, but he had this sixth sense about things. And he trusted the people in Chum. Nothing that, that he ever bought was making money when he bought it. So he trusted that the people in Chum could go into the radio stations like we did in, in Kitchener-Waterloo and just make it better. Just, you know, make uh, get work with the people there. And he didn't believe in going and throwing all the people out. He always assumed the people there were good went and work with them, show them new ways of doing things and grow the business. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was a special place to work. It really was. It was, uh, and we had some great broadcasters go through there. So oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, great broadcasters, arguably the very best. Yeah. The very, very best. best. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have one that sits across from you in the arena down in the penalty bench. Dave. Darn right. Wow. I mean, talk about a, a gentleman uh, there. I can't think of anybody that I know that that maybe applies to as much as it does to Dave. He's just a gentleman and a good soul. And, uh, and it was him that actually asked me, he, he said, Hey, Mike was wondering if you might. And I said, of course I would like no problem at all. But yeah, Dave, I would do, I do anything for him. He's a, he's a great guy, really yeah. a good guy. You know, Dave Schneider is still so involved in our community here in the region that he will, at various charitable functions, earn more money for the charity by announcing a fictitious Kitchener Rangers goal. Because the the people in attendance want to hear him say certain names, like he used to say Mattia, Mark and Tuoni, the only the way only Dave Schneider can, and he would do this. In Are front you of the kidding? crowd, I'm, I would never kid you about that. That's what he would do. <laughs> he, I, I have to say, he is he, Mike. I, when I look at his Instagram, I think, is he ever home? Because he's always looks like he's at some kind of a reception or something with whether it's his councilman job or his ranger, whatever it is. He's but good on him to get back to the community the same way that you do. Listen, you're giving the community an outlet on your show to be able to talk about things that are meaningful to them. And that's what, that's what broadcasting is all about is like, you're, you're giving those people a chance to have their say and discuss those, those important topics with someone that's, 
up on the up on all that stuff like you are, which is which is a special gift. It really is. You talked about that sixth sense that maybe your father Alan had. Was that mm. probably what was at play then when he decided to play that infernal top forty rock and roll on ten fifty chum? <laughs> you know what he did? He actually he bought the station in nineteen fifty four, and he was trying to. He worked for the gentleman that owned. He owned a drug company, and Dad was selling Mason's forty nine cough medicine. And he wanted to buy the drug company. And Mr. Part said, Alan, the drug company is not for sale, but you can buy the radio, this radio station I have, 1050 Chump. And he said, okay. He, what he wanted to do was to work for himself. That was his, that's what he felt was the most important thing. So he bought Chump, <clears throat> excuse me. And then he went, he started to do some research on who was successful at this in the United States. Well, there was about six or eight stations that were all doing really well with this new thing called rock and roll. So we went down and met all these guys and they actually formed a group that for many years after used to meet every year, once a year and just compare notes. And anyway, so then in 1957, like which was just a couple of days ago on May the 27th, he put top 40 or top 50 on Chum. And uh, I, I know he said that he said, Jim, I had to go in there and get all the records that were and take them out the back door and put them in the dumpster so that the disc jockeys wouldn't play any any except just the 50 because that was the secret to the format just play them over and over and over again so yeah he he like he should have written a book because it was a special time but and then from there his i think the first purchase that he made was peterborough first radio station outside of chum and then then it just kind of went from there. So it's a pretty good story when you start with one AM station, end up with 33 radio stations, 33 television stations. It's not not a bad uh, journey for uh, a guy that uh, wanted to buy the cough medicine company, not their, not their radio stations. So it's a happy good, accident right there. Pretty good, pretty good story. Yeah, pretty good story. Along with the music, though, and and I think one of the things that anybody who's ever spent a minute in a radio station really mm -hmm. appreciates. And I think the listeners do too, but the personalities mattered as well, right? That's what, that's what defined 1050 chum and, you know, jungle J just as one of the examples we could list so many, we could spend the whole mm -hmm. time here listing off all the names with Tom rivers and Mike Cooper and all some of those other guys. You but bet. It, it, that was the sort of stuff that we don't get quite as much of anymore. And it's very similar to, and I think, forgive me if I got this wrong, but the big eight in, in Windsor was mm. a chum outlet as well, where it personality, was. right. And it was just all about, you know, the, the announcers were as important as the other things on the station. It was, you know, it was Mike, it was what, what we were doing or what the station was doing in between the records that I think made it great because we really all had the same box of records. Right. I mean, the, the the promo guys were taking the same records in all the radio stations, but it was, yeah, I think J. Robert Wood was a master at programming music, but he also was a master at hiring great announcers to go in between the music. Just as you said, Jungle J, Tom Rivers, Chuck McCoy. I mean, I operated for all these guys. That was my favorite job. A chum was running the board when we used to use discs and cartridges and stuff like that. That was the most fun working with those guys. Don Regan, Scott Carpenter. I mean, legendary, legendary talent. And nowadays, it's all a lot of it's just dropping stuff into a hard drive. You don't get that 
that um, that same sensation that kind of came right out of the radio at you where you felt like they were talking right to you every, you know, when you tune it in. So, yeah, that was, it's, it's not quite the same, but, um, you know, you know that better than me because you're in, you're still inside the, inside the walls. So I'm not. You took though the steps that anybody would take to an executive position in radio. And I put it that way because there might be a presumption that, oh, the owner's son is going to get a leg up along the way. Dad never gave you that. You earned everything you got in the business. He, <laughs> he was, he was good that way. He, and um, it was, it was much better for me to, to have that happen. I mean, the first summer that I went in, I worked in everything. I did worked in engineering, copy, um, traffic, all of those things. I operated for the announcers. Prior to that, I used to work for Muzak install because Chum owned Muzak and Ken. I used to do installations in in McDonald's back in the nineteen <laughs> late nineteen sixties. Like I had, I had to go to Weston Bakeries on a Saturday morning to to remove all the blueberry muffins that the workers had thrown into the speakers because they didn't want to hear the elevator music anymore. I mean, so <laughs> I did a lot of <laughs> I did pretty much all the jobs that you could do. But his whole point was. You're you're not going to be able to run a radio station if you don't understand what all the people that work in the radio station have to do. And if somebody goes down, you can go and do whatever it is they did. So, um, yeah, so I and that was I was very fortunate that he took that approach. And I was fortunate that I had great teachers along the way that showed me the way. And uh, like Bob Wood and Roger Ashby and, and Chuck McCoy and Dick Smythe. People like that, at Brian Thomas, um, we had some great engineering guys that, you know, Bruce Carnegie and George Jones had taught me about that. So, yeah, I was I was I had some great teachers. I was very, very fortunate. You are a legend in your own right in so far. <laughs> no, it, listen, it, if, if you don't want to accept that, accept it on this point alone. You have a remarkable ability to remember names of any so you're the executive at chum toronto and you know the names of the people working for you in vancouver and in windsor and in peterborough what's your secret can you teach that to me no i <laughs> I, w I wish i could i can maybe i can I, I don't know it was one of those things that just felt like that was important My daughters laugh at me, Mike, because like if I see somebody with a name tag on, I call them by their name. I mean, I, it's I don't know if they're not wearing it. If they're, don't wear the name tag if you don't want me to call you by your name. So it was just I don't know. It was just one of those things that I always felt was important that that is um, that they knew that I was listening or that I was paying attention. I also always thought it was it was important to know how things were for you at home, like. As dad said, you know, you don't you don't want the people that you work with be worrying about whether they can pay the phone bill or pay the gas bill or whatever it is. You know, you want to make sure that they're they're working in an environment that they feel good about and that they're well compensated and that you've got a good benefit plan for them. So that they're always, you know, they're they're not thinking about those things. They can just do their work. 
And uh, I think it was a pretty good strategy. It was, you know, it was nothing more complicated than, you know, how would you like to be treated if you were on the other side of the desk? And I always thought that was a good mantra to live by. And um, and I think when you get to know the people that way, you, you tend to, their names tend to stick a little bit. So I don't know, it just always felt important to me. But I remembered your name. I knew <laughs> When I, I when I went in to see you in, in in Kitchener, I thought I know who that is. It's Mike. I'm going in this. I'm going to go in and say hello. So, yeah. you have no idea what that meant to me because so you probably wouldn't remember the the first time we met. You were the keynote speaker at a broadcasting at our end of year banquet after my oh, first me, year at Conestoga. That's right. Uh, that is right. Yeah. When I said that, I now I can go to the bathroom after. <laughs> you got a good laugh for that. once i was done i thought because i i don't i'm not big on doing that stuff i once you get up there i think and get going then you can i can i'm okay but in the in the lead up i'm not good at all i'm just uh, i'm really not good so i and i thought i'd share that with everybody which i guess they thought was pretty funny so that's interesting you were there for that that's pretty I, amazing and and there I was. So that was my my first year, the end of my first year of broadcasting okay. school. And you know, I'm all full of whiz and vinegar. I'm excited about maybe one day being in this industry. And then there's Jim Waters giving a keynote at our banquet. And and you know, we get a chance to meet. You crack a good joke. And then I don't know how many years later it was, twenty or so, that we run into each other. And there now you're are. the owner of the Erie Otters. And and there we are. I know it's, it's, uh, you know, and you would know this better than I, but the hockey business is pretty small, eh? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Everybody knows everybody. I mean, it's just, it's pretty interesting business. I must say that way. So you want to be careful what you say. What did you learn from your dad about being a good and or successful business person? Wow. I, it's, you know, thanks for asking me that. I, there's seldom a day that goes by that I don't in one way, shape or form refer to something that he told me or taught me. Um, but I think if you, <laughs> you put sort of all of the things into a hat, it's just, you know, it, it was be a good person and um, we're all the same. We're all, you know, he, he would treat it didn't matter whether it was the caretaker or whether it was you know ted rogers he'd treat them exactly the same there was no difference for him which i think is absolutely right in the way that we should all be and he was very humble um you know just uh kind of he liked to be in the background but he liked the people to know that he was there um he always said jim make sure that you show up when there's good news, not just when there's bad news. Cause he said, they'll think you're the grim reaper. Like they'll think that, Oh God, Jim's here. Jim's coming through the door. Somebody's going to get it. He said, you, you don't ever want the people to think of you like that. And he, he just said, and make sure you show up, just show up. You don't necessarily have to do anything you know, special, but just show up for the people, be there to stand behind them, support them, um, let them know that you care, um, uh, be honest, 
Um, integrity was his thing. Um, and as I said earlier, just treat people the way that you would want to be treated. And it's, you know, his favorite saying was, Hey Jim, it's not very complicated. Okay. Right? You know, it's, and it's really not, you know, it's, um, we're having a great conversation here. We're just, and we, we know each other, but it's, it's easy to talk to you. You're asking me all, all good questions, like good softball questions for me. It's, <laughs> it's nice. You haven't, you haven't really put me up against the wall or anything, but you know, it's just, it's just nice to talk to you and it's uh, your fellow broadcaster and um, you know, and we both have a little bit to do with the Ontario hockey league, which is cool too. And we just get to get on here and talk about it. And that's pretty special for me. One thing I have not had the opportunity to do, but I understand you did, was see the Beatles at Maple Leaf Gardens. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. That was, uh, Mike, all it was was from the time that I walked in to the time that I walked out was this high-pitched scream. <laughs> and that's, uh, I'm telling you, that I've never heard anything since that like that noise it was really something i was sitting if you if you i don't know you, you're probably too young but it was at maple leaf gardens and i was in the blues at about center ice i was in a pretty good chum presented the show i was in a i could i could see it i was in a pretty good vantage point but no one ever sat down and everybody screamed for however long they were up there it was it was wild you know it was pretty to be able to say that you were there was was something so, yeah, they're pretty special guys, little guys. Yeah. If I were to ask you which of these titles sounds better. Sure. Broadcasting Executive of the Year, Canadian Music Industry Hall of Fame, OHL Champion. Which one OHL. do you like better? Yeah. <laughs> OHL Champion. <laughs> Though, you know what? Those other ones are... You know, they're special, they're special too. And that's not to belittle those because they were, you know, it was, it was, that was nice that I was recognized in that way. But um, OHL champion was pretty darn special. And to have your name on that, on that, on that trophy is really special. So, yeah, uh, that was a good one though. I like that one. That was it. The other two, I, you know, those other things were great. They were they were fun nights when I was given those awards, and and uh, <clears throat> I remember when they gave me the 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 broadcaster of the year award. They had the guy from Super Tramp, um, one of the key guys. He he sang "Give a Little Bit," and he it, they related it to my giving back to the industry or whatever. That was pretty cool that they had him there singing. So. But yeah, I hey, they're all good things and all very fortunate to have happened to me. But that OHL championship night was pretty darn good. Although we had some pretty good celebrations when we had good rating books too in radio. We've all been a part of one of those, one or two of those. So those are those are pretty fun too. Do you just do that to rub it in, Jim? Is that what you just did to me? No, I didn't. <laughs> so listen. I, having been in this business for almost 30 years now, obviously I was working in radio when Chum was still the company before it was sold, et cetera. Yes. And all I, I've just been on the peripherals, right? I've, I've heard people talk about, oh, working for Chum, working for Jim Waters, et cetera. 
I never had the opportunity. I only got to hear the stories. Well, you didn't miss that much, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> we still we still worked in a great industry together, and that's what counts, right? So for sure. Yeah. Do you ever catch yourself, pinch yourself at any moment thinking back on truly what chum and 1050 chum meant to the Canadian radio landscape? Like it was such an important piece of our broadcasting history in this country. Do you ever catch yourself just thinking back on that and what you and your family was a part of? I do. I do. Um, and I think it's it's because I'm reminded of that by other broadcasters. You know, uh, you, I'm sure that you know this, that Fred Sherratt, who was um, the gentleman who was, he and my dad did, you know, built Chum together, really. And Fred passed away just a couple of weeks ago. I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to speak, to speak there. And somebody... I I'm trying to remember who it was. It was one of it was a broadcaster it came up to me at that uh, at Fred's celebration life, and he said, "You know, Jim, you're responsible for all of this." I said, well, "What do you mean?" He said, "Your family created this thing that Fred was a part of, and all these people are here to celebrate him and that." And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't walk around thinking that way about. Um, about Chum, but I do know that it was an awfully special place to work with some very, very special people in a in a really great industry. So that I always consider myself extremely fortunate to have the opportunity to work at it and and work at thirteen thirty one Young Street, which was a pretty special place, and uh, to have to do with you know launching things like Much Music and. Um, yeah, it was a it was a very special time, and I think Chum made a great contribution to to the the broadcasting landscape in this country. I get to I get to sit on the panel or the or the board of the stations in Belleville with Fern Belil, who was a past vice chairman of the CRTC, and he I have so much respect for Fern. He's a brilliant man, and he's a really really good person, and he he said that. Jim, what we never worried about when Chum came before the CRTC is that they would always do what they said they would do. He said that was your father's, that was the, your father's mark. Whenever he was up there, he said he'd very seldom be in the front row, but he would always be there. And we knew that what Chum promised in their promise and performance to do on their radio stations and television stations, they would do it. And he said, that was Chum's mark. And that's a pretty good way to be thought of by someone like Fern Below. I felt when he told me that it gave me a good feeling about that. So, yeah. I'm just thinking back on what you said earlier about August 31st, 2006, the last mm -hmm. day leaving 1331 young and it's the first, you know, you don't, you don't have a job. You've never been in this position before. And you were told that your job now is to manage that money, ensure that the family's taken care of, et cetera. So why, why do what you're doing still to this day? What keeps you getting up and getting enthusiastic every day, Jim Waters? It was, 
Mike, I had nine years from 2006 to 2015 where I was the most fortunate guy on earth that my wife liked me because <laughs> because because I I know that you know that there are that this could happen to some people in the wife that I don't want to have, I don't want him around all the time I don't want him looking for a sandwich at noon and dinner at six o'clock and all that like they really don't want you they they've got their own life they're doing things and they don't but but Sheila was she's been fantastic so like she's my best pal so we i i had no trouble hanging out with her for that time and probably would have just kept doing that except that the, i got this phone call but she's the one that that knows better than anybody that i don't want to that this this lights me up that i you know talking to you lights me up like that's you know like the fact that you gave me this opportunity to get on here with you what i thought was like i this is great. I've been thinking about this for a week, thinking this will be so much fun to get to talk to Mike. And but you know, being involved in the OHL and it's just been it's been fabulous. It's just I, I I still am learning. I learn something new virtually every time I talk to Brownie or Scott or Jamie or Stan. Like now I'm learning a whole bunch of new stuff from Stan. Whoa, look out for that. But um, yeah, so it's I I'm I'm a happy guy. I'm a lucky guy, and I'm a happy guy. Happy to be doing what I'm doing, and it get it's easy to get up in the morning and and think about what's coming. I like it. I'm glad you said what you said earlier about that first conversation with Stan and how long it went on for because he almost made me miss the team bus one time when we crossed paths in North Bay and I said just wanted a couple of minutes with Stan. Oh yeah, come on into the office. Next thing you know, oh. I'm like, Stan, they're they're gonna leave without me. Uh, you know what, Mike? He is a gem. He, I, the stories he's got and the travels that he's been through and with players and yeah, like he's he's like an encyclopedia for you and I to actually be able to dig into because he's just got so much of that knowledge and um, yeah, he's he commands a lot of respect. I've seen that. Like you know, it, it's not very often you're sitting sort of before a game with the coach and the general manager and, and the referees are coming in to say hello to the coach. Like they're all, you know, now that he's back, they're all, they're all happy that he's there and they're all coming in and speaking to him. And I've never seen that before. So uh, it's a pretty interesting guy, pretty interesting time for sure. I have to say, Jim, this has been an absolute thrill for me. And I, I mean, it's, my my wife said to me before I came downstairs to record this tonight, she said, you better save this. I said, I think no matter what happens, like it's on the Internet now forever. And this will <laughs> be a, this will be a keepsake for me. Like I said earlier, it's always just been uh, on the peripheral of of chum radio. I never had the chance to work for the company, but I know so many people who have. I know the story very well. And I'll let you in on this little secret. I don't think I've actually <laughs> admitted to this before, but my best friend uh, was living in Toronto and he won breakfast in Barbados with Roger Rick and Marilyn. Oh. I'm working in Kitchener for not chum radio. And my buddy says, do you want to come with me? I'm like, I don't know if I can, but what the hell? Yes. So anyway, we thank you for that trip, I guess is what awesome. I'm saying. <laughs> you went. I went. Did you and, have a blast? Oh, my gosh. Well, it, it was a little bit like this because I just wanted to talk to Roger. Sure. Right. And, and he was so gracious and accommodating oh, yes. but yeah and it was a blast absolutely it was a blast you you got one of the great 
great broadcasters of all time with Roger Raspi to be able to chat with him. He's a, he's a gem and he's a, he's just, he's a great guy. And man, you don't ever want to get into a music thing with him or any kind of a, you know, he's, he's, he's just a gem. He's really a special, special person. Yeah. That's good that you went. That's, that's great. It was a lot of fun, as yeah. was this. And uh, I wish you continued success with the Otters down the road, except when you play the Kitchener Rangers, okay? <laughs> I, I think maybe Dave Schneider said that to me a few times. And anyway, listen, Mike, thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. And I'll make a point of coming in and saying hello the first time that we're in uh, Kitchener to play the Rangers next season. I look forward to that very much. Thanks right. again. Okay, have a great summer, all right? The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.